Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Can you tell what that is? Yeah, it's a Lego piece. Yeah, yeah. These things have been around actually since my childhood. They're that old, but they're just continue to be. Now, one little Lego brick on its own is not going to do much. But if you've got like the big giant Lego erector set kind of a thing, you can do some pretty incredible things. You could build, you could build a whole battleship out of Legos. That is all Legos. Even the plane, that's all Legos. That's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. And if you got more, if you get more of those, you can actually build yourself a Volvo. <laughs> yeah. That's all Legos. And, and the biggest, the biggest, actually, this, the, the largest, um, largest Lego structure ever built that holds the world record right now it was revealed in 2013. It is a full-scale X-Wing fighter. Okay? That is all Legos. And to give you an idea of just how big that is, this is what it looked like when they revealed it in Times Square. Yeah. 5.3 million Lego bricks went into that thing. And a lot of time. <laughs> it actually weighs about 23 tons. Yeah. You can do a lot with a little Lego, you know? And, and then when it's true about Legos is, it really is true they are better together, okay? One little brick is not going to do much, but you can do some pretty incredible things when they're put together. The same thing actually is true of your own life, that you are better when you're in community, that, that, that there is something about being connected, connected with other people that brings out the best in us. It can sometimes bring out the worst in us as well, but it really brings out the best in us. It's all about that connection. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we started this series called Elevate, and it's all about finding and fulfilling your higher calling, because we truly believe that every one of us in this room has a higher calling, that God created you with a purpose in mind, that he gave you certain gifts and talents and placed you at this place, in this time, in this community, where you live and where you work, for a specific purpose. And, and, and the most important thing you can do with your one and only life is find and fulfill that calling, why God created you. And that's why we're going through this series. And it's, it's actually based on a book that was released about 15 years ago called The Purpose Driven Life that's actually been re-released now. It's called What on Earth Am I Here For? And if you haven't picked up the book yet, I really encourage you to do that and go through the devotional. It's 40 days devotional. But it just helps you discover your life purpose. And we talked about it in week one that the it really comes down to five questions. The first being, what will be the center of my life? And, and that's very, very important, because that, 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 that you, you live out of your center. So what will be the center of your life? Secondly, what will be the character of your life, the person that you're becoming? What will be the community of your life, the people that you will do life together? Because that helps shape it. Um, what will be the contribution of your life? What are you going to do with the gifts and resources and things that God has blessed you with? And then lastly, what will be the communication of your life? What do you want your life message to say to the people that you live with? When you come to the end of your life, what do you want your life to have said 
to them. And when you can answer those five questions, you're going to have a real good handle on what your life calling is all about. It's about your purpose. It's about meaningful living. It's about the direction that you'll take for the rest of your life. And whether you are a high schooler or, or just coming out of college and starting your career, if you're in your midlife crisis, or if you're, even if you're retired, knowing your calling, knowing your purpose is the most important thing you can do with your life. So that's why we're going through this series. We started last week talking about the center of your life, that God has got to be at the center of your life. If God is not the center of your life, nothing else will make sense. But when you put him at the center of your life and your life uh, is centered on him and you live out of that center, everything else starts to fall into place. So that's the center of your life. Today we're going to talk about the community of your life because you are shaped by the people that you live with. And you will not discover or you will not find, you will not fulfill your life calling without other people. Because it doesn't happen on your own. It happens when you're in community with other people. And one of the best examples we have of that is actually the model of the early church. The book of Acts is really kind of the history of the beginnings of the Christian church. And it starts in Acts chapter 2, actually, with the birth of the church. When God pours out his Holy Spirit in such a way that it just powerfully moves people. And Peter gets up and he preaches to a crowd of thousands and he talks about how Christ came to this earth and gave his life on a cross for the forgiveness of sin. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected so that we can have a new life. And it says that everybody who heard them were struck by what he was saying. And they asked, how do we respond to this? What do we do with this information? And his answer was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sin. And then it goes on, and that's where we're going to pick it up. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, it says that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that wasn't just a kind of a flash-on-the-pan, one-shot deal. If you read over a couple more chapters, chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, it continues with it. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, Those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This description of the community life of the early church gives us a really great pattern for our lives today. And it's all about that community and and how it changed their individual lives. Because see, that's what happens is we grow together in community, but we also grow individually when we're in community. And so today I want to kind of take that passage and kind of unpack it a little bit and look at what it looks like when we're growing together in community and and how that happens. So I want to start with this idea that we grow in community, first of all, when we're connected with each other. 
There has to be some kind of a connection. There has to be some coming together. Um, at the beginning of the script, description in chapter 2, like bookends, at the beginning and at the end, it says in verse 41 that those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. People connected in. Added to their number that day. Verse 47, at the end of that description, it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's like bookends to that whole passage. That God was adding people to them. That they became connected. Because it wasn't just about believing. It was also about belonging. And, and, and by the way, this, this idea of Lone Ranger Christians, like I can be a Christian and not be connected to a faith community, not be involved in a church, just isn't true. It just isn't. That, that is a, actually a fairly recent phenomenon here in the United States. Because if you look at the first century church, it was all about believing and belonging. Once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you already become a part of his family. And you need to be connected into one expression of his family in your community. Paul wrote about it this way. In Ephesians 2, he says, You are not foreigners or strangers any longer, but are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to God's family. That when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you become a part of his family. And you need to be connected in community. Because you will not grow any other way. In the very same way that your earthly family, your human family, provided an environment where you could learn and grow and develop and mature into the person that you are today, the same thing is true in your spiritual family, in your faith community, in that family of God. That's where you learn and develop and grow and mature in your faith. And you will not do that on your own. You just won't. Because it doesn't work that way. On the whole, on the whole, God has created us as relational beings. And we kind of have a natural affinity for that. People tend to gather together in groups based on a lot of different things. Might be on hobbies and interests. If you're a sailor, you know, you get together with other sailors, other boaters. You join join a yacht club, okay? If you're a golfer, you you get together with other golfers and you join join a country club. If you're a biker, you get together with other bikers and you you, you join together in a a bike club. You know, if if you, whatever it might be, you find other people of like mind and you get together. It's just kind of a natural thing. It's how God created us. We have found over the years that people dealing with addictions and, and, and um, uh, compulsive uh, behaviors, they find healing when they're in community. Because in the community, we become real with each other and honest with each other. and We find the support that we need. See, it's how God created you. It's how he created me. And you and I will not find our life calling on our own. We have to be in community. Because on the whole, life is better when we're connected with other people. Uh, Robert Putnam came out with a book a number of years ago now called Bowling Alone. And it was a classic study in the effects of community upon the larger population and how important community was, was to physical well-being, emotional well-being, just about in every area. And it was kind of a, how we've lost that a little bit in the United States lately. And, and, but this resurgence of community is actually, they have found in, in hundreds of studies now, that, that being in community actually has physical benefits to it. He writes about it this way. It has to do actually even with your health. And he says that over the last 20 years, more than a dozen large studies have shown that people who are socially disconnected are between two and five times more likely to die from all causes compared with matched individuals who have close ties with family, friends, and the community. 
Just being connected is better for your health. He goes on. He says, the more integrated we are with our community, the less likely we are to experience colds, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, depression, and premature death of all sorts. He goes on. He says, as a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. Yeah. If you smoke and belong to no groups, it's actually a toss-up statistically whether you should stop smoking or start joining. This is because these findings in some ways are very heartening because it's easier to join a group than it is to lose weight, exercise regularly, or quit smoking. It is actually healthier for you to be in a group. In essence, what he's saying is it is far healthier for you to share a chocolate lava cake with friends than to eat broccoli on your own. Yeah? So we're all going out for milkshakes afterwards, okay? No, it it actually has an impact on your physical health when you are connected in community. And we long for that. We really do. We want to be connected in community. But the truth is, many of us miss it. Read a poll not too long ago, a Gallup poll that was taken, that four in ten people responded that they have had frequent feelings of intense loneliness. We want to belong. We long to belong. But we miss it somehow. Which goes to the next point, I think. That we grow together in community when we're committed to each other. It's about connection, but it's also about commitment. Being in community is a decisive act. You choose to be in community. It says in verse 42, look at what it says. They devoted themselves. That's a commitment word. That's a decision word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, I want you to notice, okay, in the early church, the four most vital things that they did, the things that the four the top four things that, that they felt was absolutely necessary for them was to give themselves to the apostles' teaching, to be learning scripture, to be learning Christ, to be learning about him and what he has for us, and to fellowship, being committed to each other. That was one of the top four. To the breaking of bread, sharing together in communion, and to prayer. The four most important things that they did, the four things that they devoted themselves to, they committed themselves to, among the top four was fellowship. Being committed and connected to each other. Because meaningful relationships happen intentionally. They require some sort of commitment. Think about about the most intimate of human relationships, of marriage. It starts with a commitment. Right? You, you, You have these vows. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, keeping only to you for the next two or three years, depending on how it works out. No. Forsaking all others, keeping only to you as long as we both shall live. You make a commitment, and that commitment becomes the foundation on which that relationship continues to build and grow. It starts with that decision, and it's that important. And notice this, like I said, it wasn't a flash in the pan. Look at verse 46. It says, they continued, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, notice there were two aspects to it. There was the large group gathering in temple courts, gathering together for worship, but there was also the small groups in homes. And you need both. And it's really kind of how we designed the community life here at Northgate. 
that our large group gatherings on the weekends and gathering together for worship, that's a big, big part of what you need. But it's not enough. You also need the small group connection. And so we have community groups, we have recovery groups, we have Bible studies, we have fellowship groups, we have, we have all kinds of different ways you can connect it in a group of 10 to 12 to 14 people. Because it's in those smaller groups that you really begin to do life together. It's in the smaller groups that you really begin to know each other. And we need that. Some of the best things that are happening in our church right now are happening in our community groups. Because people are actually doing life together. The thing is that we're almost schizophrenic about it. Because we long for it, but we fear it at the same time. We want to be in community, but we don't really want to make the commitment that requires it to be there. Because we know, because we know for it to truly happen, it's going to require a certain amount of authenticity on our part. We're going to have to be open and honest about who we really are. And that's kind of scary. Requires a certain amount of vulnerability, a willingness to let other people speak into your lives. And accountability. There's a group of people that, that, that hold me accountable to make sure that I stay on the right track. So you need all of those things. Relationships are the lifeblood of the church. They are far more important than good preaching and good music. Because people will put up with bad preaching if they've got good friends. Okay? It, it, it's, it's the relationships that make the difference in a church. It is the lifeblood. And that requires a level of commitment to that. Third one is that we grow together in community when we're considerate of each other. It goes on in chapter 4, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, that heart and mind idea. It has to do with your will and your decisions. It has to do with your thinking and your attitudes. It has to do with your commitments and your, and your decisions. It has to do with all of those things. And it says, that's what they did. They were one in heart and mind. In other words, there was, a, there was an atmosphere. There was a, there was a, a sense of, of love and acceptance and forgiveness that whatever was going on, they were committed to each other in this way. And they cared for each other in this way. Now, I don't want you to be mis- get the mistaken idea that this was some group of uh, you know, idolized people. Okay, That they were perfect. They had no faults. They were no mistakes. You don't have to read very far in the New Testament to see that was just not the case. They had fights. They had squabbles. There was gossip. There was backbiting. They had to deal with sin. They had to deal with forgiveness. They had to deal with all kinds of stuff. In fact, most of the New Testament is written by Paul, letters to churches telling them to shape up (laughs) and telling them why and how to do that. Because the church has always been made up of imperfect people. It has for the last 2,000 years. It continues today. There is no such thing as the perfect church. Not even Northgate. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. It's true. Just, Just look around you. Look at the person next to you. That is one flawed individual. They are messed up. They are, they are a piece of work. They are imperfect. And so are you because they're looking right back at you. But that's the church. See, that's the whole thing about the church. They were all messed up in some way. And we need each other. It's a big, big part. How does such a group of messed up people get along together? Only by the grace of God. 
That's what he goes on. He says that the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Grace is the only thing that binds us together. The grace of God is the only thing that gives us something to, to, to build on. And that's why all throughout the New Testament, Paul writes things like Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. See, being a part of Christian community doesn't mean that you get to be with people you like to be with. More often than not, being in Christian community is going to give you plenty of opportunity and practice at things like forgiveness, understanding, humility, patience. See, that's how God designed the church. Your character is going to be shaped by being in community. And your calling, your calling is going to be revealed when you are in community. That's the only way that it happens. It's so, so important. And at the center of all of it is God's grace. Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is always level. No one stands higher than anyone else. In fact, one of the things that we share around here on a regular basis, we're going to close our time together today with it. It's called communion. It is the constant reminder that it is not about us. This is about what Christ did for us. And when we share together in communion, we are reminding ourselves on a regular basis, it is God's grace that brings us to him. It is God's grace that brings us together. They were connected. They were committed. They were considerate. And I think the last one is this, that we grow together in community when we're compassionate toward each other. That's a little bit further than considerate. Compassionate has to do with those rock-bottom needs. It says in verse 34 of chapter 4 that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that, that, um, that there were no needy persons among them. That is an incredible statement to me. No needy persons among them. That the, the, the evidence of God's grace at work among them was their compassion for one another, their caring for one another, their involvement in each other's lives. That was the work. And, and notice, by the way, that it's not that there were no needy persons among them because God miraculously provided the funds. There were no needy persons among them because they cared for one another. For from time to time, it says in verse 34, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And I had a, a, a young man come to me after last night's Saturday night service and he said, wait a minute, if everybody sold everything and gave to everybody, then they were all poor. <laughs> That's not exactly how it worked, okay? It was the idea that if there was need, they were willing to give up some of their assets to help one another from time to time. The, the bottom line to it is that they didn't consider any of their possessions their own. They understood they were all resources that God had given to them. And if God needed them, God had access to them. And it was a spirit of compassion. It's how they cared for each other. See, here's the thing that I have found as a pastor over the years. When there was a financial need, it's not just a financial need. There's often a lot of other things going on. Somebody is struggling financially. There's also an emotional need underneath that. Because there's a loss of self-esteem. 
and a feeling like I'm not measuring it up and I'm not providing for my family and I'm not taking care of business and somebody loses the job and it brings all kinds of other things with it, not just a financial need. Sometimes it's a, it, it becomes a, a, a spiritual need, a crisis of faith. God, where are you in the middle of all this? Are, are you, are you going to provide for us? Are you, what's happening here? See, very often it's, it's more than just the financial need. And that's why you need community. You need that support network for those hard times when the crisis comes. And let me tell you, every one of us in this room, a crisis will come. Every one of us will experience. Every one of us probably already have at least once in our life. And it's, it's in those crisis times that you need that support network. And the time to build the support network is before the crisis comes. See, sometimes we get word back at the office that, that somebody was in need and, and, and they're, they're complaining because they said nobody noticed and, and nobody cared and nobody called. And more often than not, what I've found is nobody knew. Nobody knew. We would have been there, but we didn't know. We would have helped. We would have, but, and the reason nobody knew is you weren't connected. You weren't in a small group. You weren't... You weren't doing life together with other people who would notice. That's why our small group ministries are so important. You need both. Sometimes you will need the support of others. And you need those people to be there in those moments. But the other thing about it is you get the opportunity to be there for somebody else. Because when it comes down to finding your higher calling... It's not how you benefit from it. It's how you benefit others with it. Because at the bottom line, your higher calling is going to involve somehow a demonstration of the love and grace of God. Because that's what he has you on this earth to do. To extend his love to others. Sometimes in very tangible ways. John the Apostle wrote about it in his first letter. He said, listen... If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Would you bow your heads with me? It says of that early church in that very last verse that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. In other words, people who were not a part of the church on the outside looking in looked and said, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I'm not too sure about this Jesus resurrection stuff, but there is something, there is something about that group of people that I need. Because of the way that they cared for one another, the way they were committed to each other and compassionate for each other. It made a difference, and the people around them noticed. So let me ask you, in a moment, we're going to share together in communion, but let me just ask you, where does this message hit you? It, it, might, be, it might be being more intentional about your relationships and just recognizing that God has put those people in your life for a reason. And you have something that they might need. And it's just being more intentional about that. It might mean making a a, a definite step of commitment 
to this faith community. Saying, I am, I am in, I am, I am, I am, I am a part of the mission and vision of this church to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers. And maybe the next step for you is just to formalize that and, be, and become a member. It might be for you getting connected into a small group. Because for you, it's just kind of about the weekend for an hour or so. And what you really need is those kinds of commitments and those kind of relationships. And that might be your next step. I don't know. It might be something completely different. But here's the thing. I truly believe that anytime we open God's word, God speaks. And whatever God is speaking to you, the only thing I'm going to say this morning, this afternoon is, say yes. Say yes to him. Whatever he's asking you to do, whatever he's putting on your heart, whatever, whatever, whatever this hits you and resonates in your own life, just say yes. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. And then follow through with it. Now, it may be that you're here today and you never took a first step of faith. You never really put your life in Christ's hands. Here's what you need to know. God so loved you, he gave his one and only son. That if you would believe in him, put your faith in him, it wouldn't perish but have eternal life. That Jesus Christ came to this earth took on our brokenness and on the cross he paid the ultimate price for your sin and for mine so that we could be forgiven and restored to a relationship with God but he didn't stay dead he rose again to give us this new life and if you don't know that reality in your life I don't want to close our time together today without giving you an opportunity to respond and if for you it's a very first step of faith I'd like to lead you in a prayer as we close and let you take that next step It's just simply acknowledging your need, your fault, your sin, asking his forgiveness and putting your life in his hands. And if you've never done that before, but today God's speaking to you about that, I'm going to ask you to do something just to let me know. Would you just raise a hand and as you do, look up and catch my eye because I'd like to acknowledge you and let you know that I see you, that I'm praying with you and for you as we close. Anyone? All right. Yeah. Okay. So, Lord, here we are, faulty, frail, messed up, sinful people, always in need of your grace. But we are so grateful for the grace that you've given to us. Today, we admit our need. We open ourselves up to you and we ask for your forgiveness, for your restoration. Some of us for the very first time, but in this moment, we're turning our lives over to you. We are committing ourselves to you and to your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.